casual greetings exchanged by other students. It was odd to think of the school as a haven, an escape, a place she looked forward to going. For so long, Duchesne, with its shiny marble floors and sweeping vistas of Central Park, had been nothing less than a torture chamber. She had dreaded walking up the grand staircase, felt miserable in its inadequately heated classrooms, and even managed to despise the gorgeous terrazzo tiles in the refectory. At school, Skylar often felt ugly and invisible, although her deep-set blue eyes and delicate Dresden doll features belied this. All her life, her well-heeled classmates had treated her like a freak, an outcast, unwanted and untouchable. Even if her family was one of the oldest and most illustrious names in the city's history, times had changed. The Van Allens, once a proud and prestigious clan, had shrunk and withered over the centuries so that they were now practically extinct. Schuyler was one of the last. For a while, Schuyler had hoped her grandfather's return from exile would change that, that Lawrence's presence in her life would mean she was no longer alone. But those hopes were dashed when Charles Force took her away from the shabby brownstone on Riverside Drive, the only home she had ever known. "'Are you going to move?' Or do I have to do something about it? Schuyler started. She hadn't noticed that she'd been standing in a daze in front of her locker and the one above it. The bells signaling the start of the day were clanging wildly. Behind her stood Mimi Force, her new housemate. No matter how out of place Schuyler felt at school, it was no comparison to the Arctic freeze she weathered on a daily basis at the Force's grand townhouse across from the Metropolitan Museum. At Duchesne, she didn't have to overhear Mimi grumbling about her every second of the day, or at least it only happened every few hours. No wonder Duchesne felt so welcoming lately. Even though Lawrence Van Allen was now Regis, head of the Blue Bloods, he had been powerless to stop the adoption process. The Code of the Vampires stipulated a strict adherence to human laws to keep the Blue Bloods safe from unwanted scrutiny. In her last will and testament, Schuyler's grandmother had declared her an emancipated minor, but in a wily move, Charles Force's lawyers had contested its tenets in the Red Blood courts. The courts found in their favor, and Charles had been named the executor of the estate, winning Schuyler as part of the package. Well, Mimi was still waiting. Oh, uh, sorry, Schuyler said, grabbing a textbook and moving aside. Sorry is right. Mimi narrowed her emerald green eyes and gave Schuyler a contemptuous look. The same look she'd given Schuyler across the dinner table last night, and the same look she'd given Schuyler when they'd bumped into each other in the hallway that morning. The look said, What are you doing here? You have no right to exist. What did I ever do to you? Schuyler whispered, tucking a book into her worn canvas bag. You saved her life. Mimi glared at the striking redhead who had spoken. Bliss Llewellyn, Texan transplant and former Mimi acolyte, glared back. Bliss's cheeks were as red as her hair. She saved your skin in Venice, and you don't even have the decency to be grateful. Once upon a time, Bliss had been Mimi's shadow, happy to follow her every directive, but a trust had broken between the two former friends since the last Silverblood attack, 
when Mimi had been revealed as a willing, if ineffective, conspirator. Mimi had been condemned to burn until Skylar had come to her aid at the blood trial. She didn't save my life. She merely told the truth. My life was never in danger, Mimi replied as she ran a silver hairbrush through her fine hair. Ignore her, Bliss told Skylar. Skylar smiled, feeling braver now that she had backup. It's hard to do. It's like pretending global warming doesn't exist. She would pay for that comment later, she knew. There would be pebbles in her breakfast cereal, black tar on her sheets, or the newest inconvenience, the disappearance of yet another of her swiftly dwindling possessions. Already she was missing her mother's locket, her leather gloves, and a beloved dog-eared copy of Kafka's The Trial, inscribed on the first page with the initials J.F. Sky